Okay, good morning, Rock Bible Church. Good to see you, four of you. Uh, hope you had a good week. Uh, we're continuing on our series in uh, First Thessalonians. We're chapter 2 this morning. Uh, notes are up on the Facebook page there if you want to reference them and pull them up. Um, but uh, book of First Thessalonians is a book on faith. Uh, last week we talked about uh, what uh, faith, how do you prove it? What is the proof of faith? Are you imitating Christ? Is it infecting others? Uh, are you proactive? Is it based on the truth? Uh, so you can find that uh, in the history of uh, podcasts and whatnot. Uh, this morning we're going to we're talk about the hope of faith. At the end of chapter two, it talks you know about what is our hope. It asks that question. Um, but really the chapter kind of talks about the hope of faith and um, what is the hope of our faith. Uh, and we're going to draw a couple conclusions that because Paul uh, goes a couple different directions with it. And so we're going to have some fun and, um, and look at all of them. So uh, let's get started. Let's pray and then we'll, uh, we'll jump right in. Lord, thanks for this morning and thanks for uh, remote learning. And I know as we're about to start school for children and teachers and um, as we've been remote learning as a church for a while, uh, I'm just reminded this morning that we have been for many, many generations remote learning from you. And we do that through your word and through your stories and through your spirit. Um, but may we see the, the value of learning, period, regardless of how it happens, that we might Draw near to you and understand what it means uh, to follow, to believe, to have faith. And so uh, bless this time, bless this passage as we look at it. Uh, help us to get your perspective rather than just our own and uh, take as much from it as we can that we might be prepared for this week and the things you would have for us. Uh, we thank you for what we got to sing and uh, pray that you would... Uh, Guide us now. Bless us in honor of your son, and we pray it in his name, Jesus. Amen? Amen. All right, First Thessalonians chapter 2. Uh, we're continuing our discussion on faith, and here's what Paul has to say. He says, uh, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. Paul had uh, visited uh, the church in Thessalonica earlier. Uh, he's now remote from them. So they're kind of remote learning from him. Okay, totally applies to what we're dealing with now. Uh, verse 2, But though we had already suffered and had been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. We're in the midst of much conflict right now. They were in the midst of, of conflict too, hard times, difficultness. And they said, regardless... We're going to have faith. Regardless, we're going to proclaim to you the truth. Regardless, we're going to follow Christ and the truths that go with that. Uh, and it's a reminder uh, to us that, one, bad times are going to happen. In fact, James has a great little passage on it that we'll look at some other time when we go through that book. Uh, bad stuff happens. The question is not, will it happen? The question is, how will we respond? Paul and uh, Timothy, uh, Silas or Silvanus, however you want to say it, uh, they set this example of, no, we're going to continue to follow. Follow is something that you do because of who you are, not because of the environment or how easy it is. Uh, that's super important for us right now because there's plenty of challenges to our faith um, and whatnot. Verse uh, 3, for our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please men, but to please God who tests our hearts. So this is a pretty interesting uh, verse here, uh, because if we go back to the, the previous slide, to the beginning of the phrase, what it says is, it says, uh, we, we have been approved by God. He says, you know, we're not doing it for this, 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 or the other reason. We're doing this because God has approved for us to be able to have faith. God has approved for us to share the message of who he is, right? And we jump into the end of the verse, or the next section of the verse on the, on the 
slide. It says, entrusted with the gospel, and so we speak, not for men, not to be popular. It says here, not to please man, but to please God. Why do we do this? This is what God wants. You know, probably one of the most difficult things uh, for us in life is to learn that our motivation has always meant to be from creation, that we, we generate based on what God wants, his intention, his desire, his plans, and yet we like to come up with our own. Well, I don't like this, so I'm not going to do that. Well, now you have a real problem because we've got a verse that says, the part that I've skipped so far, right, of this verse, God who tests our hearts. Boys, that sound like a, just a great devotional verse. Oh, the Lord who tests our hearts. And, you know, if you say it with a nice soft voice, it sounds really devotional. In fact, you could probably make your little video and post it on social media. You know, I love the Lord who tests my heart. You know what you're really saying? God causes difficult things. Why? To get your attention. Why? Because your heart is in the wrong place often. Often? Yes, regularly. By nature, we are all sinners. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So our, our intentions lead us the wrong direction. One of my least favorite verses is this idea that there is a way that seems right to a man and its end leads in destruction. You can head the wrong direction easily. Our job is to remember that God has approved us for a message that's his, generated by him. What that means is we've got to investigate. We've got to go figure out. We've got to record that message because we're not the ones that generate it. He's the one that generates it. You know, I've, I always have thought growing up, people in church and people of faith who would say, you know, read your Bible and pray. Like that was some amazing equation, combination. Like that was how you open the lock to the safe of all blessings and things like that. It's like, read your Bible and pray. And like, like it was a to-do list or a checklist and that I had to do this. And once I did that, then I was qualified. Um, it wasn't until later in my faith, actually after I'd read a bunch of scripture and figured out it doesn't qualify me for anything. Reading my Bible and praying qualifies me for nothing. In fact, God qualified me long before I ever read anything or talked to him. He said, you're worth it. I'm making you because I want you. I like you. You have total value. Now, are you going to read your Bible and pray? Well, why would I do that if I've already been qualified, if I'm already valuable? Because reading our Bible and praying is what gets us onto the right page, onto the right path, gets us clarity for the message that he has. What gets us in trouble is we see things going on in culture, in our own families, or at our workplace, or in our school environment, and we think that's the driving force, that that is how we should make decisions. And, and I, I am grateful for the virus in some ways because it is forcing us to ask the question, what really drives our decisions? And along with the virus have come a whole bunch of other little things that are creeping in around the virus to try and influence us as to what's really important and should we pursue this or that. And we're getting to see a lot of agendas. I wonder if we see God's agenda and what's going on. I think one of the greatest things that's going to come out of the virus is the value of truth. Because truth is, wow, it's, a, it's at a minimum these days. Because nobody really knows what's going on and everybody's shooting in the dark to try and figure out how to solve this. It's pretty scary for me. Uh, where are we? Verse 5. Uh, For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. So for not selfish reasons they came. Well, let's find out for what reason did they come. God is witness. 
Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. So we had some rights. We could have expected some things or required some things or requested some things. He said, but we had a different agenda. Let's find out. But we were gentle among you. Verse 7. We were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Who just became valuable in the exchange? The people hearing the message. Other people. Rather than self, other people became important. Um, Very interesting to me how important self is becoming in the midst of our virus and and all the distancing and and that whole thing. And and really we have... um, we have a lot of people shouting from the mountaintops. No, we got to keep other people safe. We wear a mask and we do distancing to keep other people safe. And a lot of times what I'm noticing, although it's true, it does keep other people safe. A lot of people's agenda is just self-preservation. I keep my distance. I don't go out I don't because I want to keep myself safe. Well, what, what about other people? Do you generally care about the safety of other people? Because there are times we're going to need to go out in order to help other people. We call them frontline people or essential workers. That's one of the great things coming out of this is we got a bunch of people, a whole segment of of society and culture that's saying, "Mm, my safety, I'll put on the back burner. I'm still going to wear the mask. I'm going to distance. I'm going to wear gloves and do the best I can. But I'm going to have to go and engage with other people for their benefit, not because of my own gain. It's pretty, pretty impressive when you get to see that and experience it. Um, even more impressive when you get to be the person that does it. So, uh, so being affectionately desirous of you, We were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. You had become very dear to us. And so we're going to share with you the gospel. Why? Because you're important. And I want you to see what it also says. It says not just the gospel, but ourselves as well. It's it's like, well, the information is important, but I want to spend time with you as well. The information is important, but the relationship is as important. Ooh. I ask you a question now. Is there anything as important as the gospel? Careful. Because Paul just created a combo meal. Yeah, you got the gospel, but we gave you our lives as well. Relationship, interaction. We're going to get to that in a little bit when we come back to our fill-ins. Not only the gospel, but our our own selves as well, right? Verse 9, for you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. I love this. This is a look back to last week where it says, um, where we said that uh, the uh, faith, the proof of faith initiates observable actions. That was one of our fill-ins last week. The idea that we work towards it. Paul says here, it's like, hey, you saw us working. We were working, why? So that it was easy for you to engage with us. We were not a burden to you. We were a blessing to you. Which is a great question for you to do a little inventory in your relationships. Like if you made a list of all the relationships you have and then just write right off to the side of it, burden or blessing? You know, so-and-so. Um, I don't know. I think I've kind of been a blessing to them. All right, blessing. Uh, so-and-so. Mm, actually, they're kind of a blessing to me. I wonder if I'm a burden to them. This person, haven't talked to them in a really long time. That's a burden, right? We're neglecting them. Uh, great question to ask. Paul's clear on what his agenda is. I'm to be a blessing rather than a burden. I'm supposed to work at it in ways that other people see. Uh, and he says, you saw it. You saw it. Verse 10, you are witnesses, right? That's the you saw it. And God also How holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. We tried to treat you the right way. 
You know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. That's kind of interesting. Because earlier it said that, that God had approved us. God had uh, called us or given us the right to share the gospel and, and do that. Then it says he's going to call us into his, his kingdom and glory. In the middle there, you know what it says? You got to walk. You got to walk like him. Walk in a manner worthy of God. Yes, it's a big phrase and it kind of loses its meaning because it sounds the Bible-ish, Right? I like to take Bible-ish and translate it into street-ish, right? Walking a matter worthy of God means, are you walking the talk? Yes, you have the information. Yes, you know how the gospel works. Yes, you know that God has created all people and therefore all people are valuable. Do you act like it? Does it change the words that come out of your mouth, even in conflict? It needs to. I had an exchange this week that I shall not go into, but I was very challenged and irritated, and I bit my tongue and said nothing. Why? It was an attempt to be on my best behavior and try to walk in a manner worthy of God and work in my heart and my mind as to, hey, why'd you get irritated? How is it that you're so sensitive, Scott, that you got pushed out of shape in something that was really not that important. That's why we're not sharing the story, right? Not to avoid details, but not to embarrass myself, okay? And we do it all the time. We also, verse 18, we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, the information, the gospel, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. He said, you got information. And rather than taking it as someone else's cute idea, you took it as, wait, maybe this might be true. Maybe God actually exists. If he did, maybe he actually said this. And if he said it, maybe he actually meant it. Because maybe it was actually true. And if all of that, if I take it at face value, it might need to affect me. In fact, it has to affect me. So how will I walk differently this day forward based on the reality of the gospel, reality of Christ, the reality that God exists? And that, folks, is what we call faith. Walking in the reality of who God is and saying, it's going to change my actions now. That's why I love what it says, uh, Hebrews um, 11, 6. And I think we have this one because um, Denise is awesome. Uh, Hebrews eleven six. this is the, the ESV version, right? And without faith, it is impossible to please him. Faith is the idea that I'm going to change how I act this day forward based on the truth of who God is. For, why? For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. That's a premise you have to live on, stand on, and that he rewards those who seek him. That, that, that he is there, and if you follow, if you walk in a manner worthy of God, it will pay off. There is a blessing. It does work. That's a conditional statement. Which is very confusing to me because I've been told my whole life that God unconditionally loves me. Yes, he does, and yet there are conditions. Wait, which one is it? It's both. Now, I love this verse, but I have, to, I have to show you how I learned this verse because I learned this verse in a different translation. I know, I know, we use ESV for everything, but I learned this in the New American Standard Version. And I want you to see how it says there because it's a little more old English style or like 
how they used to say it back in the day kind of thing. I love the, the way it says here. For without faith it is impossible to please him. All right, same as the other translation. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. I love that. You know, the other version says, no, you must believe that God exists. How about just, you got to believe that he is. That's as simple as it gets. I love the simplicity of that. And that he is a rewarder. That's what I want to know. Do you believe he is? And that he's a rewarder. If he is, then you'll do the last part of it. You seek him. For those who seek him. Right? All right, back to our... Uh, Back to our passage. Where are we? Here we go. You are witnesses, right? Um, yeah, kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this. Oh, no, we did that too. Receive the word of God. Next, next uh, slide. Which you heard from us, not accepted as word of men, but the word of God. For you, brothers, became imitators. This is the result, right? When you start walking the walk in a manner worthy of God, you become imitators of the church of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. He's saying, you're in Thessalonica, but you know what? You're starting to look like Judea. Now, they heard this earlier than you did, and they've started to follow this a while ago, so they're maybe a little ahead of you on the learning curve, but guess what? You're starting to look like them. Why? Here's how I know. Because you're getting opposition like they did. Said uh, your, your countrymen are giving you opposition. They're giving you a hard time, just like the Jews did to the churches in Judea, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. And they displease God and oppose all mankind. The opposition to God is really, according to Paul, opposition to all mankind. Because you are bucking the system. You're fighting how it's supposed to go. And then you wonder why it's not working. Well, I'm a relationship. Well, yeah, you put yourself first in that relationship, and that's why it's not working. Well, what do you mean? Well, you're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself. Just to care about the other people. So far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. There's all these reasons in Scripture that say you're supposed to value the other person in the relationship. And you're wondering why it doesn't work. Because you're more concerned about what you're getting out of it rather than are you being a blessing to them. You're all upset that they're a burden to you. What if you just assume from now on everybody's going to be a burden to you? Then when somebody does something that doesn't go well, you're going to say, oh, well, now I know how that was going to... I know how it played out. I knew it was going to happen. I just didn't know how it was going to play out. And now I, now I can keep moving. Because right? you're no longer surprised. Verse 16. By hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. <laughs> they opposed Paul. And, and why? So that people couldn't hear the gospel? They couldn't hear about God? So as always, to fill up the measure of their sins. Those that oppose God are measuring up sins. They're collectors. That's rough. Your life is going to snowball. Period. Well, what do you mean? You are designed to snowball. Well, what do you mean? Well, it's that concept. Like when you roll some, a little small snowball, you start rolling it. What does it do? It picks up snow as it goes. What kind of snow are you picking up? You will snowball. You will get bigger. Are you going to get bigger on the evil side or are you going to get uh, bigger on the godly side? You get to choose. Uh, uh, to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last, right? They're going to get theirs. When you oppose God, it's going to show up in some way eventually, sometimes faster than others. Verse 17, but since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavor the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. It says, yeah, I want to be around you. I can't right now, so we're doing this at distance. I'm still praying for you. You're still important. I still see that you're imitating Christ. You're walking in a manner worthy of God. But know this, it doesn't separate the need for us to have face-to-face -face relationship. 
and eventually we're going to get there. What a, what a great thing for us to hear today, since so many of us are at distance. Uh, because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. Now, can I speak to the um, conspiracy theorists, the extremists, the radical Christians? Okay? Because you'll take that and you'll say, oh, Satan hindered us. See, Satan is alive and well and active and he's going to get us. And it, no, it says he hindered you. Does it say he stopped you? Finished you? No. Bound you? Not, there's so many things that could be hindered. What's a hinder? A hinder is, oh, man, we're supposed to leave, but we're, we don't have enough gas, and we're, we're running out of time. You know what a hinder is? You've got to stop at the gas station, fill up the tank, and just go on the rest of your trip. I need you to start seeing Satan that way because he is a bit player in your story, and I am so tired of you radical extremist Christians because you make him out to be some all-encompassing power. You know what? Dude can barely do much. In fact, the stories where we hear him talking to God, God says, hey, where you been? Well, I was kind of walking around on the earth. Oh, really? He's limited. You know, hinders you more than Satan. You know who actually can stop you, chain you, destroy you? You. You can do that to you. You can do more to yourself than Satan ever could. We see that in the exchange Satan has with Christ. He suggests these ideas. Why? To be a hindrance. And Jesus, I love Jesus, kind of like, what? No. Are you kidding? Oh, stop talking. Right? And he just said, you're, you're kind of a hindrance. Like, you know, can you just stay over there? I'm doing this thing for 40 days. And I'm hungry. Stop talking. But we as Christians, we think that everything is the be-all, end-all, like the virus is going to kill everybody, or we can't do this ever, or you have to do this always, and we do this extremist thing. And you know what? You were never meant to be an extremist about anything other than your faith, your radical commitment to follow him as an imperfect being and know both. Know faith in him and know your imperfection. Then we kind of watch and see how things play out. What you need to hear is that Satan hindered him. And yet, what are we reading? We're reading the letter that Paul continued to write to the church of Thessalonica, and he sent other people there, and he's going to try to go back. Why? Because when you are in faith, one of the hopes of your faith is it can't be stopped, it will succeed eventually. It's not a fill-in. You might want to write that down, or maybe somebody should post that on the chat, on the Facebook thing. One of the hopes of our faith is that it can't be stopped, right? Satan is merely a hindrance. Uh, for what is our hope? Verse 19, for what is our hope? Uh, ten, hence the title of the chapter, the hope of our faith. What is our hope? I got to say that several times to really get you on this. What, what is our hope? Our joy, our crown of boasting before the Lord Jesus at his coming. Well, one, one of our hopes is that he's coming, right? But watch what he says. Is it not you? Aren't you partly our hope? Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica. Well, my hope is not that I do well, not that I be important, that I get to write letters that somebody else will read for generations and generations. My hope is that you do well. My hope that is that you're hindered less, that you continue to imitate God, that you continue to follow him. What is our hope? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Wow, how cool how Paul speaks of other people. What if you walked around the rest of your life from now on thinking that people around you, they're your glory and your joy? Well, yeah, but they don't act like it. Maybe they don't know yet. Maybe you haven't told them. Maybe you haven't acted like it. Maybe you act like you're your own glory and your own joy. Right? Well, don't do that. Right? Uh, either way, may the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen? 
20 verses, chapter 2. Uh, it's double what we had uh, first chapter, but let's look at this um, because there's, there's quite a few fun things to take out of this. The hope of your faith is, is multi-sided. Think of a diamond, many facets, right? First one I, I want you to see, uh, the hope of your faith, uh, is that it, it's more than the gospel, I want you to recognize what was just said at church. There is more than the gospel. What? Scott, you're dancing on, on uh, hypocriticism. Uh, you're, you're about to be a Pharisee or a, what, a Sadducee. No? What does he say? Verse 8. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God. Whoa. So we have the gospel. Is the gospel important? Say absolutely. Say yes. Say always. We have the cross. We have what Christ did. We have what he solved. We had what he said, what, what he followed up with later. We have who he is. We have all of the things of the gospel. And yet Paul says, I share not only the gospel, but more. What? Our own lives, right? So the hope of our faith is that it is more than the gospel. Not that we throw out the gospel, but that we, we value gospel at the highest level, but it's your shared life and worthy walk. We draw that from verse uh, 12 as well. But it's this idea that, uh, yes, we have the gospel. That's the information, of what Christ has done, is doing, right? And will continue to do. But then there's the walk. There's the how are you interacting with other people, your family, your coworkers, friends. The gospel was never meant to stop just at the gospel. The gospel was meant to infect others. We talked about that last week. And how do you infect others? You walk in a manner worthy of God. You see, our relationship with the Lord, our, the hope of our faith is that it's interactive. That it's actually interactive. That it's more than just information. It's more than just understanding, well, Jesus died for us and he's the son of God, the second part of the Trinity. And well, he's the author and founder of our faith. Source of salvation and grace and forgiveness. And boy, that's great. Now I'm going to go do whatever I want. No. What if the gospel was the first stop on the train ride? Train ride? Nobody rides trains anymore. That's so antiquated. You're so old using old analogies. Maybe we need to go back and think about it in different ways and use terminology that you're not used to to make you think more. The train ride takes a really long time. Takes a long time to get that locomotive. I know you don't use that word ever anymore. Get that locomotive starting to move. How much time does it take you to get to one mile an hour and then to two miles an hour? And then when you get up to like full train speed, how long does it take to slow you down the first stop? Once you stop, the time it takes to get moving again and move on to next stop. Are we talking about inefficient time compared to today we got automobiles some of them electric we have planes some of us don't even have to travel why we can just get on the computer and i can see and have a conversation so i don't have to travel anymore yeah what if our relationship with the lord was a little more work than that having to take massive things and push them along I think it's important for us to understand that it's meant to be interactive and it takes work and it takes time. Right? So that's one. Hope of our faith is more than the gospel. It's your shared life and worthy walk. All focused on the gospel, by the way. Um, and I just have to say one more time, I'm not saying we're throwing out the gospel. I'm saying we're doing the gospel. And in addition to that, we should be doing our lives, right? Love the Lord and love your neighbor. Ooh, there's an example. Uh, number two, hope of your faith is God and his word working his word working like his he's taking his word and he's making it work right how about also uh, god and his word working as in your 
working His Word. How about number three way to look at that phrase? How about His Word works? Like it actually works. How about a fourth way to look at that phrase? How about His Word works as in it takes time. It works over time. It has to play out. Kind of like cooking, right? I love uh, what it says in verse 13. Walk in a manner worthy of God, right? That's walking, who calls you into the uh, kingdom and glory. Calls you into, not that you're there, not that you're immediately showing up there, but he's calling you into it. That implies time, that you're on a path, that you might need to be patient. And that's why hope plays into it. It's not something you have now. It's not something you see right now. It's not something you're experiencing right now. You see it playing out over time and you're hoping that it continues. It keeps going. But I think even more important for this one than that it is God and his working word uh, is verse 19 where it says this. What is our hope? Our joy, our crown, our boasting before you that Jesus is coming. Is it not you? Are boasting before the Lord that Jesus is coming, that we're working on this? You see, there's this idea that uh, God's working word and our the hope of our faith is immersive. What's what's immersive? That that means you're you're surrounded by it. You are you're, it's getting all over you. Like over time, it's taking over your systems, your thinking, your feeling, your acting, your planning, your investing, your spending, your avoidance. That over time, that his word is working to refine you, fix you, direct you, clean you. I think what we see is that over time, uh, when we're interactive and immersive, uh, our faith becomes less hope and more faith. You know, one of the fun things about faith is that eventually we would have no hope in it. What? No hope in our faith? Yeah, because you're experiencing it. I have to hope it for it anymore because now I'm seeing it. I have to worry about, is something going to happen? It happened, and I have zero hope for that anymore because it has come into existence. Now I hold it, experience it, see it, taste it, and I no longer need to hope for it anymore. Now I enjoy it because he is a blesser of those. Well, you know what the blessing of faith is? Is that eventually hope goes away and you become uh, an experiencer of faith. Just made that word up, experiencer. Thirdly, the hope of your faith is opposed and hindered. <laughs> your faith is opposed and hindered. Isn't that your hope? Isn't it, isn't your hope that you will be opposed and hindered? No. This is called a reality check. When you have hope in your faith, you will get opposition. People are going to say no. Or they're going to post about you or try to stop you. That's the reality. In this life, you will have trouble. You know how to figure this out? Because I was thinking about this all week. When I tried out for a team, every single time, there was opposition and hindrance. Sometimes other players, sometimes it was my own body. As you can tell, I'm a little challenged, right? Uh, sometimes it was a coach. Sometimes it was my parents. I was opposed and hindered by my parents. How dare they? No, you cannot play baseball. Do you know why we never talk about baseball? My parents. Blame them? Nope. Can't play baseball. What? What's wrong with baseball? It's at the same time as soccer, you got to pick. What? I have to choose? There's really opposition to my soccer and my baseball because I had to pick one. That's not fair. Fair does not exist, Scotty. Boy, that's opposition too. 
Every time I've been in a class, change of analogy. Every time I've been in a class, study a subject, opposition. What? Yes, you must read this. You must practice this. You must do this equation. You must take this test. You must write this paper. And you must do it over and over again. Opposition. Every time I've tried to do anything, there has always been opposition or hindrance. You will have opposition. Paul had opposition in trying to help build a church in Thessalonica. And in every other place, he tried to build a church. Some of you are freaking out and all beside yourself because you have opposition and hindrance within your own family. Get over it. Your family is full of people. You should expect it. And then you should be a blessing and walk in a manner worthy of God and do the best you can to help them, right? Encourage them to the glory that they are called to and joy. Because here's the thing. Here's how you know you're going to have opposition and, and hindrance. Like which environments, ready? You will have opposition and hindrance if there's people there. What? What? Yes, anywhere there's people, you're going to have trouble. But that's not good. Gosh, Scott, you're such a pessimist. You're so dark. No, I'm a realist and an observationalist. Every time people are involved, people are sinful. And they give people opposition. I have opposed Jan. Jan has opposed me. Why? Because I have preferences and she has preferences. I oppose my kids and my kids oppose me. Pick a relationship. There's always opposition, right? Except for Julie, my wife. I never oppose her. <laughs> if you believe that, I got a whole nother sermon series for you. Shall not bear false witness against thy neighbor, <laughs> right? I have opposed my wife and, and been wrong. And here's the scary part, folks. Because if when I say you're going to experience opposition and hindrance if people are involved, even when you're alone, did you know that there's one person there? The scariest piece of how this all works is that you are your own worst enemy. You are the biggest opposition and hindrance you will ever have because you can decide against God. You can walk away. You can say, no, I'm not doing that. I'm jumping in a ship and I'm gonna, sh I'm gonna sail as far away as I can. And God will say, hmm, nice try. Let's go swimming. Now let's try being food. Now let's try hang gliding without a hang glider. All right, that's Jonah. Spit, the fish spit him out, right? That's hang gliding for a little while. You see, you've, you've got to recognize um, that our relationship with the Lord is opposed and hindered. There's at least four different examples in the passage. And so you know what that means? Uh, the hope of our faith is intense. Now, you can take that as fearful and difficult and dark and, gosh, I don't like that. Or you can take it as exciting. It's going to be exciting. There's going to be opposition. And you know what? We're going to power through it. We're going to work on it. We're going to take care of the people around us as we do it. But it's going to be intense. Now, buck up. Get some thick skin. Be strong. Work at it. Pull your resources. And let's do the best we can with what we have. That's the hope of our faith, that the opposition and the hindrance won't stop us. It'll just be intense, right? Lastly, the hope of your faith. I just, I'm just using the phrase. I took it straight out of the last verse. Is it not you? I want this to remind you straight from the passage in that one little phrase that the hope of our faith is actually other people that the gospel is important to other people, that all people are his creation. 
that we're trying to get that message out. And in fact, God has entrusted us with that message and said, as imperfect as you are, as messed up, as limited, as many, many missing pieces as you have, and how easily you oppose yourself and hinder yourself and get distracted by all the other things, I'm gonna let you be involved. In fact, I'm gonna pull you into involvement. I'm going to make it interactive, immersive, and intense. Why? So that you can be interpersonal. Be interpersonal. Interpersonal means that your person interacts with another person. You see, we were meant to interact more than just with God. We were meant to interact with him and with other peoples. Hence the phrase that Jesus told us was the most important one. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. See, people are our agenda. Every business in the world, you know what their commodity is? Money. In the church, in faith, in Jesus Christ, our commodity is people. That's why we never ask you for money. That's why we say people are more important than programs. That's why Jesus tells stories about the one lost sheep, and I will leave the 99 who are safe and secure, and I will go find the one lost one, and I'll bring them back. Now, I want to ask you a really, really tough question. Who are you inviting to church? Who are you inviting to faith? Who are you inviting to relationship with the Lord? Now, I know it's very difficult because right now you're not supposed to go to church. Awesome. That's called opposition and hindrance, and it's intense. You're going to have to find different ways to engage other people and let them know what you actually believe by the way you walk, by the way you act, by your observable actions so that they can see that there's something real there about God. Because when they see an interactive, immersive, intense, interpersonal relationship with the Lord, that's attractive. It's immeasurable, just to use another I word. This all fits together, folks. And I hope that you'll see it. The last week we, we did fill-ins and all of them started with I. This week I gave you four more I words. We're up to eight I words. You're going to see how far it can go. So we understand the value of faith. More important than your own relationship with the Lord. What is your relationship with the Lord and other people? Is your life moving beyond the gospel to next stage of life? Are you progressing past the first shelf? Are you going beyond the first stop? What is the hope of your faith? Because I want to close with something that's not on the outline. The hope of your faith, in some ways, is different than everybody else's. Because God has made you unique and special in all kinds of ways that you might enjoy it. He's drawing you into blessing, glory, and joy. Why? Because you've got some specifics that are going to make the hope of your joy very different. And I trust that you'll understand the concept of last week. How do you prove that faith exists and that you're doing those things? And then you're recognizing what we talked about this week that you can have hope and exercise it and have experiences that no one else will have. Now, you have some experiences that everybody has because there's a gener there are generalities about faith that we all enjoy. But I want you to have both. God wants you to have the general stuff, everybody, and some specific, unique grace. How can we do that? Well, that's the train ride. It'll take a long time. We'll figure it out. Together, remotely or in person, as Paul says, face to face. Let's pray. Lord, thanks that we have a faith that's 
working. That works. Thank you, Lord, that uh, that we can work on it. That you're always making it work. Thanks, Lord, that it can be so simple and at the same time so complex. And I pray, Lord, that we would see the opportunities we have with other people. That they might be the hope of our faith in many ways. And pray, Lord, for those that are opposing themselves or hindering themselves. Or, or maybe they have external opposition, other things that are in the way. Pray, Lord, you give them relief or way around it. If that's you, if that's your prayer, say it, say it this morning. I need relief. I need a solution. Maybe you, you're thinking of certain people this morning. That could be the hope of your joy. Pray for them right now. Pray for them this week. Lord, help us to see how we would be a blessing. That we might walk in a manner worthy. We thank you for all of this, Lord. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.